This morning, I'm honored to, to be preaching from the book of Daniel. So get out your Bibles, uh, your copy of the scripture, and turn to chapter 5. Uh, those of you who have been with us know that we're in a series from the book of Daniel, Thriving in Babylon, it's titled. It's an excellent sermon series that uh, very much has to do with our lives now in this culture that we find ourselves living I want to read the entirety of chapter five of Daniel because um, it's a very unique chapter that I think has more to do with us than most realize, certainly more than I realized when I was studying. This is a, a chapter that is sandwiched between a famous story about Nebuchadnezzar being for, turned into like a beast and humbled uh, in chapter four, and then chapter six, the famous Daniel in the lion's den, and between is, is a chapter that is, what does this mean? There's a, uh, a miraculous handwriting on the wall of a message that seems to pertain to this king what does it have to do with me, though, is kind of what I always thought. And as I studied, I found much, much that I needed to apply to my own life, way more than I anticipated, and I think more than you would anticipate as well. So I want to pray now, and then I want to read it in its entirety, so get comfortable in your seat. Let's pray. Lord, I am grateful uh, I am grateful for this church. I am grateful for uh, the brothers and sisters that are here. I'm grateful for the others that are here visiting who don't know you. I pray, Lord, that you would give all of us ears to hear and understand your word to us. I pray that you would help us to understand the weight and the gravity that it is, the freedom that you've given us to be able to sit and hear from you. I pray you would soften our hearts uh, open our ears, Lord. Help us to see clearly how we can better live in this life that you have placed us in a way that honors you and brings joy to ourselves. God, we love you and pray in the name of Jesus Christ, your son. Amen. All right, let's read. Starting in verse one of chapter five. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar has, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought in that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately, immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed. His lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding, wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king, appointed him, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. Now let Daniel be called in, and he will show the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought from Judah. I have heard of you, that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this warning and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give the interpretations and solve problems. Now... 
If you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all people's nations languages and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would he killed, whom he would he kept alive, whom he would he raised up, and whom he would he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened, so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne. And his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed, he was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven." until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. And you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent and the writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mean, mean, tekel, and parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mean, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. 31 verses, good work. That's a long, very interesting story. And what on earth does it mean for you today? This story is very interesting. And from it, I have, as I've studied, the handwriting on the wall and the king and his kingdom and the party and Daniel. It's like, I have, I have seen four things in this that I believe you need to see today. Four points I have this morning and every single one of them is something that you need to remember today. God has given us chapter five, I think, with four things that we need to remember to walk away, reminding ourselves of constantly. So as I start, the title of the sermon, as you can see in your outline, is God Shattering Pride. God Shattering Pride. And the intro to this chapter is best seen, Belshazzar's pride and arrogance is best seen if you look at the end of chapter four, verse 37. So Nebuchadnezzar, many of you who have been in this sermon series know chapter four, Nebuchadnezzar, and he was proud. Daniel even talked about it and reminded Belshazzar of it. It is when he, he was on the ground crawling for seven years. He went mad, he went AWOL because he would not humble himself and until he saw the most high God was in control. It was, it's a crazy, bizarre story. Go back and read it. But at the end of it, Nebuchadnezzar humbled himself and saw that God is God. And this is what he said. Look in 4, verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And we can see the start of the story of Belshazzar's demise because he was a prideful and arrogant man. And that leads me to my first point that I'm gonna start off right off the bat. The first point is this. You must remember there is only one God who rules and reigns. There is one God who rules and reigns. Where on earth do I get that from the story and what does it have to do with pride? Let me tell you. I see it. Let's look in verse, verse 18. Daniel, I hope you know that there is a, there was a time that spanned between Nebuchadnezzar and his humbling and then being raised back up and praising God, right? 
there was a time between Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar being king, okay? And so it wasn't like an immediate, but in either case, Nebuchadnezzar had the records of what happened and should have known. And Daniel also knew this, but also, I don't know if you caught it, Daniel came out of retirement. He wasn't necessarily one of the Chaldeans, the astrologers or sorcerers that came first. They had to call him in. But when he came in, what he did first is interesting. And it all leads into my first point. You must remember that God is ruler and reigner and none other. Watch what, watch what Daniel does as he talks to uh, Belshazzar about this handwriting on the wall. Watch what he does. Verse 18, O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship. Verse 19, because of the greatness that he gave him, all people's nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Right, verse 20, look at verse 20. He was brought down from his kingly throne. Daniel didn't just come in and read the writing on the wall. Daniel came in and said, King, there is one God who sits in heaven who has control over all things and puts in place whom he wants, when he wants, and he takes out who he wants, when he wants. Right? Does that make sense? You guys see what I'm saying? And furthermore, Daniel is reminding the king that he is the same yesterday and today and forever, which we know from scripture we have. The same God that was in Daniel 1, 2, 3, and 4, the chapters, right, the fiery furnace, the, giving Daniel the, the vision of the interpretation of the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, all of those things. It's the same God now, Belshazzar, as the God then. He's not changed. He's no different. In Exodus 3, the burning bush, you guys know, what did God say to Moses? Who, who are you? He said, I am who I am. Not who I was, not who I will be. I am God. It's the same God for Belshazzar as it was since the beginning of time. And he's remembering, he's reminding Belshazzar of this. Look in verse 22 and 23 though. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. This is crucial to understand, to connect the first point of we must remember, you must remember that there is one God who rules and reigns. You have to get this. It's crucial. See what he did in 22 and 23 here. He ascribes pride with forgetting all of these things. What are all of these things? All of God's works, God's faithfulness, who God is, how he deals with the rulers and the kingdoms and the people. He ascribes pride with forgetfulness and humility with remembering and trusting and believing faith right? Does that make sense? Don't let your pride keep you from remembering. We're no different than the king. We may feel like we want to associate with Daniel because Daniel's the hero, and when we hear stories, we always like to put ourselves in the place of the hero and not the bad guy. I think some of you might align more with Belshazzar than with Daniel. We have to think about this and ask the Lord to help you see this. I pray and ask the Lord that he would help all of us see it because we are prone to fall to the same thing that he did, and it's forgetting what we know about who our God is. If you do not think rightly about who God is, you won't think rightly about who you are. And when you don't think rightly about who you are, that's when you start doing things you ought not do. Think about it. It's when we worship. Stuff, things, people. It's because we're thinking more about who? Ourselves and not God what we want instead of what God wants, who is, we think is in control, we feel like is in control instead of who says he's in control, that we have a record of who is in control. And we can see it. That's the heart of pride. Who do you think is in control? That's what it boils down to. And what's at stake here, I just hinted at it, and we see it in the first four verses of chapter five. What is at stake here that we can clearly see is worship. Who you are thinking about, listen to me, listen. Who you are thinking about most determines what, who, and how you worship. Now, I don't think any of you in here are going out into the woods or you know, you've got some box with iron and gold and silver in it that you're worshiping. 
you going and worshiping wood and trees and stuff like that. You might. Some people do that. That's not what this is about. Let's look at verses one to four. Look at verses one to four with me. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, he got drunk. He commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought in that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. What does this show about, about his pride? Well, let me tell you. We already saw in verse 22 and 23 that he had forgotten. He wasn't thinking about God and the stories that he had seen with the past kings, his predecessors. He had forgotten who was he thinking about. It's shown here. One to four is a, is a party scene. It makes sense. He's drinking. He, he, okay, but I want to unpack a few things that I think are very interesting. Culturally speaking, it was not good. And it actually, it wasn't that it wasn't not good. I don't know that that's accurate. But it didn't happen. Women didn't come to these kinds of festivals, these parties. So the fact that these women were invited in just goes to show they were drinking. And they were like, this is great. Bring the women in here. Okay, and then guess what happened? As, as in sin things progress. That wasn't enough. And then they said, let's get really crazy. Let's go into the war room and get those vases. And I just drink out of them. Do you know what happened? A commentator said it well. He said this, stating a fact, which is illustrated in every age and land, that men under the influence of intoxicating drinks do things that they would not do when they're sober. How many of you have seen somebody who's wasted doing something stupid that the next day you can guarantee they're going to regret they did? Or you've seen videos or you've heard stories. When people are drunk, they do things that they don't intend on doing while they're not drunk. And that's what happened here. He didn't plan on saying, hey, we're going to have a party with the women and then we're going to go get those vessels and we're going to drink out of them. No, they started drinking and it progressed. Okay, and the point here that I want to show you is this. It's not about the vessels. There's all kinds of details through this that people got, get lost in in Daniel. Really cool details, but for the sake of time, I can't. Okay? One of the things people talk about a lot is these vessels, and it's the fact that God had set them apart, and they were sacred, and they were designed for the temple, and all of these details. Yes, that's true. God determined that they were holy and sacred and set apart for a specific purpose, but there's one thing that Belshazzar forgot and he was thinking, who is in control? Who says what is holy and what is not? Who says what I can and can't do? He forgot who God was, who was ruling, who was reigning, and who has authority to say. Still further, his arrogance is shown in that the fact that he even threw the feast. This was also very interesting. So people throw parties for all kinds of reasons, but back then there's... It's been debated as far as did Daniel chapter five even happen? So as far as archeological finds and, and, and uh, scrolls and stuff that we have found is like, is this King Belshazzar? There wasn't record, but recently there's been found records that it's like, yes, this is true, it's accurate. But it still isn't clear about why they were even having this feast. And there's three things that I found, all of which, regardless of what you land on, the same point is true. The first is this. Maybe he was having a feast to celebrate a Babylonian god or deity. They were a pagan country. It seems like it might follow. It might make sense. A thousand of his lords, it actually was true that they had been in war for years. So another theory is that they had this feast. He threw this feast to boost morale among his lords during battle, which also kind of makes sense. And the third, which I think to tend to lean to based on how the end of the chapter comes, which we see, it's recorded, there's, there's a theory that says that while he threw this party, and actually he threw this party because they were under attack at that very time, and he had so much trust in their walls and defenses that it's like, we're not scared, we can party. And that's what you see, he died that very night from them coming into the, into the kingdom. They found their way in. 
In either of those cases, what is the point? Pride is a motivating factor. We have got this, we're in control, let's party. And we're gonna do what we want. He forgot who God was. And I now wanna turn this on you. In what fleshly, drunken stupor do you find yourself? Maybe you don't get drunk like King Belshazzar. Maybe you do. Maybe some of you know those regretful stories. It's like, darn it, I wish I wouldn't have broken the window again or beat that person up or treated this person that way or I don't even remember. I just woke up in this room by myself. I don't even know where I am. Getting drunk causes you to do stupid things. But guess what? So does our flesh. In what drunken stupor do you find yourself saying things, doing things, listening to things, watching things, going to things, that the next day you think to yourself, man, how could I do that? What was I thinking? Why would I have said that? Why did I skip class? Why did I treat her that way or him that way? Why did I spend my money and buy this thing? What, what was I thinking? I don't think that we're that much different than King Belshazzar. And I think it's directly related to, the, related to the pride. We're not thinking about God. We're thinking about ourselves and what we have going on. And we get so caught up. You get so caught up with you and your stuff. You end up worshiping. Now you have to think to yourself and be honest with yourself. It's not about what I think or say that you're worshiping, although it might be helpful to ask people who know you what they think you're worshiping, but you have to be honest with yourself. What are you worshiping? What do you care about? What have you placed in the position of your heart that is more valuable than anything else that you spend more time, money, and affections on thinking about, talking about, doing, practicing? If you look back to those things, maybe some of you had these scenarios come in your mind where you remember, I can't believe I did that. I wish I wouldn't have done that. What was I thinking? If you were to trace your thoughts, your emotions, your actions and go back, do you know what I think you would find? I think that you would find that you were thinking far too highly of yourself and what you want and you were not thinking about who God is and what he wants. And therein lies the direct correlation to the first point, you have to remember who God is. If we don't, we end up just like Belshazzar, worshiping things we never intended to worship, going after things we never intended to go after. And it's pride that gets you to forget all of the records about who God is. I wanna now look at the example. We have Belshazzar in this, this feast, this party, he gets drunk, and it's a good example of what it looks like to lose our mind and to start going after things we don't intend on. But what about Daniel? I wanna look now at Daniel and the positive example that he is of what it looks like to remember who God is. And then that determined that he did not worship anything else. He continued to stay faithful to who God was and what he said. Look in verse 11 and 12. Look in verse 11 and 12. The king, the, the, the king, the queen comes in, right? She hears all the ruckus that's going on about the handwriting on the wall. She comes in and she says, whoa, 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 stop freaking out. Verse 11, there's a man in your kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy gods dwells and he can solve this problem. He, he can understand this. Okay, jump down to verse 14. Okay, so the queen reminds the king of, of this Daniel character, right? And then he comes in and, and the king who actually remembers now that she's telling him these things, says, oh yes, verse 14, I've heard of you. You're this Daniel. I've heard of you. Daniel had a reputation. Have you ever heard the phrase, your reputation precedes you? If ever there was a time for that phrase to apply, it would be here. Daniel only came in because his reputation preceded him. He only got invited to come because they had heard of Daniel and all of the stories about him. And just like Daniel, everybody listen to me, just like Daniel, your reputation will be formed by either a humble trust and remembrance of who God is or prideful forgetfulness like the king. This sermon series is so helpful because uh, we find ourselves 
maybe you're not thinking about it a ton, uh, but we find ourselves in a culture that is, um, it's a mess. What's right is wrong, what's wrong is right, backwards is forwards, forwards is backwards, there's no truth, everything is relative, everybody just do what you want and don't you dare offend me. How do you have any rational conversations? You can't with some people. Everything is jacked up, guys. How do we as Christians live in this culture in a way that we should? You have to remember, like Daniel, guess what? Daniel was captured, taken, and he was emasculated and then indoctrinated as a kid in the religion of, of his, this captor, capture, right? And guess what? He still didn't stop having faith and believing and knowing who his God was. And guess what? That's what allowed him to, to resolve not to defile himself with the food that the king told him to eat. Guess what? That's also what led him to have the friends and keep the friends around him, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Shadrach and Benny, right? He went right to them to pray with them. As soon as an issue came up, they went to God. They remembered that God was in control. And guess what? That is what gave Daniel confidence to live as he should in the culture. And it's the same thing that will give you confidence to live in the culture now that we find ourselves in. How do you know who to vote for? How do you know if you should vote or not? How do you know what school to send to or to your homeschool or to a private Christian school? It's like all of these things that we want to debate and figure out we don't know. We get so lost in the here and now we forget to remember that God is the one who orchestrates all things and puts us where he wants us. We have to remember that. Here's a verse, Psalm 61. Turn there, keep your finger in Daniel 5 and turn to Psalm 61. This is, this is a, um, not a popular verse, but as far as one that I keep hearing about more and more uh, people quoting, it's a great verse, but for me, for years, I've memorized it, and it's something that I've used to remind, to help me remember who God is in this current time. But watch what happens, and it's directly related, I think, to how we, how you should live now. Psalm 61, verses one, two, and three. Hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Do you see what happened there? Verses one and two were these requests. Okay, well, verse three is the, the uh, he bolsters himself up to give confidence to his requests. The reason I can request is because you have been my refuge. You have answered my prayers in the past. You have been my God in the past and you are my God now. Spurgeon quoted on that, on that verse three, for you have been my refuge. And he said, from the past, we gather arguments for present confidence. Think about it for a minute. From the past, we gather arguments for present confidence. Arguments with who? Not your neighbors about politics and who to vote for. In your heart and mind, what fears, what failures, what worries, what anxieties, what stress, your job situation, school situation, kids, maybe you don't even know where your kid is right now. You just want him to come home. All of these things, we can trust God now and live in a way now if we would but remember that God has been our refuge and has been faithful. Maybe, maybe you don't have a record of God's faithfulness. And if you don't, answered prayer, fruit of the spirit, growth, awareness of sin, desire and understanding of God's word, peace, hope, if you don't have those things, maybe, I have to say, just maybe, you're not a born-again believer. Because I think that every born-again believer will have a growing list of God's faithfulness. You will. If you don't, then you don't know God because he is faithful. Or perhaps, maybe you are a born-again believer, but you pridefully have neglected to remember the ways in which God has been faithful to you. And I want to challenge you to think to yourself, you've got to remember, you can't live now confidently in a way that is clear and loving and you know what to say, how to say it to your neighbors, to friends, to teachers, who to vote for, all of these things. You can't know unless you remember who God is and that he is in control and that he appoints leaders 
and he takes leaders out and he puts you right where he wants to put you under the boss that you have or the job that you have. If you lose your job, guess who did that? God allowed it. If you have to move, guess what? God wants you to move. Scary stuff that rocks our world. If we but remember God is in control, it will rock our world less because we know that God is in control. We have to remember. And I just want to look at one example just from, as I said before, there is a ton in chapter five. And this is interesting. As I read, I saw this. This kind of jumped out to me after, after I was reading it and studying it for a long time. This is just one instance. If you go back and read uh, Daniels 1, 2, 3, and 4, you will find many other instances and it will actually bring more to light from chapter five because it'll cause things to come to mind like all oh, little details that are really cool. If you read verse 18, look at verse 18 in Daniel chapter five. So Daniel he offers him the gifts and then Daniel says, I don't want your gifts, but I'll tell you what it means. And then he says this, he addresses the king. He says, O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, contrast that now with verse 10 and how the queen came in and addressed the king. She comes in and she says, whoa, whoa, whoa. O king, live forever. She praised him. And some of you may know from history in the Bible, but also other historical accounts of kings and queens, if you don't address royalty properly, you might lose your head. If you don't stand right, walk right, wait until they raise the scepter, if you remember the story of Esther, there's all kinds of things. It was assumed king is the most high, right? Daniel came in, look at verse 18 again. He says, O king, comma, the most high God gave. It wasn't, O king, the most high, comma, God gave. Right from the start, Daniel's confidence and boldness was in one thing. There is but one God who rules and reigns, and it's not you, king. I don't know about you, but I like to think to myself, if I were to come in here, it's like I'd church it up a little bit. It's like, oh, you know, sugarcoat it. It's like, king, this is not gonna go well for you. You're gonna die. He's like, no, you're an idiot. You forgot all these things. You're not the most high. You're gonna die. And he confidently came in to say those things. Why? Daniel knew who his God was. I also want to, to make note here from the book of Daniel. It's one of my favorites, so I have to, I have to talk about it because it's also a perfect example. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the story of the fiery furnace absolutely wonderful, makes me want to cry. Sometimes I do when I read it. King Nebuchadnezzar, if you know the story, he builds this idol and he says, everybody worship it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, don't worship it. They get tattled on, they get taken before the king and he says, you're gonna worship this thing, right? Does anybody remember what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said? Nebuchadnezzar said to them, you're gonna worship this thing and if you don't, I'm gonna burn you alive and who's the God that's going to save you? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, Oh, king, we don't even need to answer you in this. Our God is able to save us if he wants. If he doesn't, though, in either case, we're not going to worship your God. They had a confident, humble trust in their God that they were able to say, even in the face of, of being burned alive, they said, our God is so powerful, he could save us from this if he wanted to. But you know what else? We know our God and we know his plan is best. So even if he doesn't save us, in either case, he's going to deliver us from you, Nebuchadnezzar. And you guys know the rest of the story. Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, kicks him into the fire. And you know the end of the story. How often when we pray, when you pray, when you think about God and what he, you want him to do for you, we so often have these circumstances about how we think God should answer it. Obviously, this is how I want God to answer it. Take the cancer away. Or I need more money. Or I want a car to just show up in the driveway. Or tuition paid for. Or whatever. How often do we trust God enough that when we pray, we say to ourselves, regardless of what happens, I trust you and I'm going to act accordingly regardless of how this scenario turns out. That's how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego lived in the face of Nebuchadnezzar who was going to kill them. I don't think you have anybody that's trying to kill you because you're not worshiping their God. 
but we do find ourselves in a situation where you might lose your job, you might be made fun of, you might be ridiculed. The only way that you will be able to live now confidently is if you have a humble remembrance of who your God is. I want to turn now and I want to talk about the last three points of my message. Daniel confidently declared the meaning, fearing, he didn't fear death or the consequences. And I think the Holy Spirit had Daniel record them as a reminder to all people about our pride and our sin in the Lord's character regarding dealing with sin and that, that he is a holy God and he is going to punish sin accordingly. He has to. He's holy. His character determines that there is only two options. Sin will be punished. Righteousness will be rewarded. There's heaven and there's hell. There's two options. And God in his character, he is perfectly loving, but he is also perfectly just. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Verse 26 brings me to my second point, the thing that you need to remember, and it's the message uh, that Daniel interpreted, the handwriting on the wall. You need to remember that God has numbered your days. Daniel said to the king, your days are numbered. And if you look in verse 23, he said, you ended up worshiping these gods who don't see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your very breath and all your ways you have not honored. He's the same God then as he is now and he holds every single one of your breaths. And you're not guaranteed another day, another moment. And you have to remember it. Why? Why is this related to pride? Because if you remember that God is the one who is in control and you remember that he holds every single one of your breaths and that will cause you to live for him now instead of wait and think that you've got more time. I'm gonna do what I want now and I'll come to God later. That's why it matters. And it's pride, the only thing that will keep you from remembering and turning to God now. Psalm 139, 16, we see this. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me. Job 14, 5. Since his days are determined and the number of his months is with you and you have appointed his limits that he cannot pass. Your life has a limit, whatever that is, and you're not gonna make it past. And we don't know when it is. I hope that that makes you to seriously think about your life situation and the choices that you're making now and what you're living for now. Just like the king and even us who are believers, maybe we're not a pagan like the king. If you are, you need to repent. But even if we're like Daniel, we're prone to forget. We all need to remember because we get distracted with things here, now, me, stuff, I want. Forget what God wants. We have to remember, all of us. I implore you to repent and turn to God today, all of you. Which brings me to my third point, which is the second thing. Verse 27, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. You must remember that you will be weighed in the balances. And this is not a fun thing to preach on. This is not a feel-good thing to preach on. Unless, of course, you have Christ. Then it's a wonderful thing to preach on. But for every single one of you, you have to know this. You have to think about this. You have to combat this in your mind. You are going to be weighed in the balances, the same as King Belshazzar. And I feel compelled to reiterate, the only way you can repent and turn to God now is if you turn to Christ you cannot just start living good. You can't just stop doing bad things, responding in the ways that you, you do that you know aren't right. You can't just start reading more or praying more. All, those, all of those things are good. But when it comes time for you to step into the scale, there is no amount of good thinking or things that you've done that will be enough. Nothing. All it takes is one ounce, not even an ounce one, one iota of sin in your life to tip that scale and you're guilty and God will punish it accordingly. 
You can't just remember that God is God. The demons remember that God is God. You have to remember that God is God and you have to turn to him and accept the loving free offer of grace that he gives you in Christ. The only way that you will not be found wanting is if Christ is the one who steps onto the scale for you. That's what it means to be born again. That's what it means to be born again. If, if you've doubted, if you've feared, this is the gospel. Listen, God in his love made a way so that you don't have to experience his justice, his wrath and his anger and his punishment for sin. And that is only found in Christ. God said that it's a, it's a 100% obedience that is required. And that's why he sent his son who obeyed 100%. And so that when he goes to step into the scale for you, you're not found guilty. You're not found wanting. It's paid for. That's why Christ came and lived and obeyed and died and rose again. That's the gospel. And get this, get this. Only when you're born again, as I said before, will you be able to start living now in a way that really remembers who God is and empowers you for confidence now. Because guess what? If you don't have Christ, you are stuck left trying to do and do and do and not do the bad things. But guess what? When you have Christ, even when you mess up, you can get up confidently resting that the scale is taken care of and Christ is on it and paid the price you can't pay for yourself, which allows you to humbly remember who God is and that he paid for you. And then that fuels, again, the confidence that you can have now to do what you should do. It's a cycle that fuels for believers how we should live now but it hinges on if we would but remember who we are in Christ and who God is. It's the only way you won't be found wanting. When you're born again, you can have a, a, a record of God's faithfulness that when you can start trusting him and living confidently now. There's a danger here though. You should not convince yourself you should not convince yourself that some of God weighs more than other parts of God. God is more loving than he is just. God is more merciful and gracious than he is angry or wrathful. It's all the same. God is God and he is not changing he is both all loving, he presented a way for you to be saved, but he is also all just and he is going to punish anybody who doesn't accept the loving way that he presented. The danger is so easy for us to think about if we don't hear and we don't confront all of God's character. Kevin DeYoung, he's one of my favorite authors and speakers, he said, you cannot rank one attribute of God higher than another. And then he went on further to say, God will not change his mind on the last day. He won't change his mind on the last day. And I have, I have a very, very frustrating uh, story from my history. Uh, I was in college and I had a professor. I still get mad about it, thinking about it. I had a professor who had a syllabus that was very detailed, very organized, very clear grades were pronounced to due dates the days that you could have late and any day after that the subtraction of the percentage of your grade that's going to go all of this was laid out and I really worked my tail off to get all of the projects all of the homework and there was a lot throughout the semester that was all cumulative built up and we didn't know our grade until the end and then we had this one exam it was one of those classes it's one exam it's like, come on professor Okay, well, I get to the end, and guess what happens? And I worked my tail off getting C's and B's. It was a hard class. And then at the end, the professor changed her mind and said, for anybody who hadn't turned anything in, you can turn it all in the last day. Like, You've got to be kidding me. I killed myself the whole semester. And then these people who just did nothing all semester got a better grade than I did. Dang it. It's wrong. She said, for, she said forgive. I'm not better, I'm not better. <laughs> but if I remember that God is in control, he put me there and he gave me that professor. If I would remember that, that's how we forgive. That's how we don't hold grudges and we get lost in this now. 
think about God rightly so you see yourself rightly and can act accordingly. The same God who existed before time in Genesis 1-1, the same God who created, he's the same God who spoke out of the burning bush, he's the same God who walked in the fiery furnace with Daniel's friends, he's the same God then, now, and will be the same God in the judgment. And there's no shadow due to change. James 1.17 says there's no shifting, a shadow. It's like there's an object with a light and the shadow changes when something moves. God doesn't move, he doesn't change. He is always fully himself. You have to remember that you will be weighed in the balances. And lastly, you must remember, and I'll do this quickly, you must remember that your kingdom will not last. Verse 28, Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. King, your kingdom, everything that you've worked for, everything that you think you have that your confidence is in is your kingdom, it's not gonna last. It's done. You might not have a kingdom like that, but guess what? You have, you have family. You have cars. You have bank accounts. You have resumes. You have careers. You have a kingdom. And guess what? It's not gonna last. Second Corinthians says... This world is not our home. And we have to remember that because that's also where the famous verse comes from. We walk by what? Faith and not by what? Sorry. We have to walk by faith and not by sight. How do we do that? Remember that who God is, our days are numbered. We're gonna be weighed in the balances and guess what? This kingdom's not gonna last. How does that relate to pride and God shattering pride? Pride is through every single one of these points. I hope you see that. And pride comes out in this last one in the fact that, okay, who are you thinking about when all you see is your circumstances, all you've got going on in your life, and you're trying to manipulate things so you get the right job, you get the right raise, you move up on the ladder, you get the right grades, you get paid for school and you get all the loans or whatever it is. Who are you thinking about? Yourself. When we are about our kingdom, we are thinking about ourselves and what we have going on. And we see this throughout the Bible in one verse, which is one of my favorites that is so difficult, but at the same time, it illustrates this. In Psalm, God says, the psalmist tells us, be still and know that I am God. Do you know how hard it is to be still? Have any of you tried? In a world where everything that you know is subject to change, what it takes in order for you to be still is to focus on the one who doesn't change. That's the only way we can be still. It, the verse doesn't say just know who God is. It's be still and know who God is. We have to remember who God is if we want to stay focused on the fact that this kingdom we have is not going to last it's directly tied to the first point and all of the others that we have to remember that God is in control and we are not and our stuff isn't going to last it's all pride who are you thinking about who's in control in conclusion just like King Belshazzar had a record and a history of God's character and dealings with the prideful man so do you and you will fall the same as the king does if you get to the end. I don't think Daniel's going to be there to say, hey, and you, you knew all of this. He's not going to have to, though, because you will know as soon as you die or as soon as the clouds part and Christ comes back, you're going to say, oh, shoot. The time is now. You can't wait. And you have a record that you should be studying so to help you remember all of the things so that you can live now. Just like Daniel or the king, you have an opportunity to trust God remembering his holiness and divine control over all things or, or you can leave this room remembering that or you will walk out of here thinking to yourself, I've got this. You might not say that, but when you walk out here, you're gonna be thinking to yourself, I can do this. Apart from Christ, you can't. Five years from now, a year from now, maybe a week from now, you're gonna to get to the end of your road or 50 years from now. There's all kinds of biographies that talk about men who live their whole life trying to do it and they get to the end on their deathbed and it was like, it was vanity. It was nothing, I can't do it. You are going to tire and wear out, you can't do it. 
You have to turn to God. Turn to Christ now. Remember that your days are numbered. You don't know how much time you've got. Remember that everything in this life is going to pass. Remember, remember, remember. So I've got two things. Application of what you should do when you leave here. And then we're done. You need to walk out of here and you need to pray to yourself and say, Holy Spirit, in what ways have I not been honoring you as Lord? In what ways have I forgotten that you are God and I am living in light of who I am and I'm taking that more important than who you are and what you've said? And secondly, I want, I want anybody who's here who knows Christ to leave and remember that the scales, you will not be found wanting. You have a record of God's faithfulness. Leave and think about it. Write it down. How has God been faithful to you? Remember it and live confidently now because of it. Lord, I pray that you would help everyone here remember that you are God. And would you help them see that they are not. Help me to remember that I am not. Help us to see, Lord, the ways that we think that we are and help us to see clearly the things that we worship that are indicators of who our God is. Lord, I pray that you would give conviction and I pray, Lord, that you would give joy and hope and peace to those of us who, who are looking for encouragement about how we should live now in this day and age where you have placed us. Lord, we love you and pray in Christ's name. Amen.